Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Romans, starting in chapter 7, verse 14, and continuing into chapter 8. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but in fact, It is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be the law that when I do what I do that is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self. But I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I am a slave to the law of God, But with my flesh, I am a slave to the law of sin. Paul continues in chapter 8 of Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And to deal with sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. Since the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies and also through his spirit that dwells in you. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you again for choosing to worship with us this morning. It's a beautiful um, Independence Day weekend as we are gathering together for um, and, and homes and families together on the beach and the poolsides and having, um, who knows, maybe you're eating some of the ribs that the missions committee cooked this past week. Um, Bob and John and Joe were there along with Beth 
and Paul were um, cooking and wrapping 108 uh, slabs of ribs um, this past week. Wonderful um, mission effort to raise money for our local missions and mission efforts um, that Ashland Place continues uh, to work with in our community. There's a lot going on um, in Ashland Place, um, even as we are still not able to gather in face-to-face and in-person worship. Um, we are continuing to find ways to be the church. Um, not only has the mission committee been working, but uh, the uh, worship team put together a, an in-person communion service, a drive-up communion service that was that last Sunday at 6 o'clock. And it was a wonderful opportunity for our people, our family, to gather together and to worship and, and ha- share communion um, in, in person and to be able to wave and to see each other and to speak to each other even as we social distance while remaining in our cars and, and participating in the worship service through an FM transmitter. Uh, we were able to be there and it was incredible and a powerful moment as the church continues to find ways to be the church. And so those 88 people who gathered on Sunday afternoon were representing the church and were being the church in our, our little corner of the world there is a lot that continues to happen. We continue to have our daily um, scripture reflections and our weekly devotions that come out every Wednesday, as well as um, a weekly Bible study and a weekly um, book study. Um, things are continuing to happen. Sunday school classes meet. In fact, we had a Sunday school picnic following the communion service where uh, class members gathered in a socially distanced and respectful manner and um, had a, brought their own picnics and, and shared time together. It was another wonderful way for the church to be the church. So I just want to kind of point that out as, as we um, continue to, to look at these escalating numbers of new cases in our community. The task force um, has been looking and um, watching carefully the, the unfolding numbers and continuing to discern how we will move forward and and how we will come together again in person worship and how that will look different. Um, one of the things we've been talking about, I want to let you be aware of as we continue to, to plan and develop, we would like to have a, another in person worship opportunity, um, probably a drive up communion service again, now, perhaps another experience, a different experience that is in person. And we're trying to figure that out and where it would be and, and how we would make it happen. So. As those plans continue, we'll keep you informed and and make sure that you know that you are always invited to be the church with us and gather with us as we gather. Well, as you can see, we are in a different location. We are um, in downtown Mobile at the Steeple. Um, Many of us know this as St. Francis Street United Methodist Church or St. Francis Street Methodist Church. It has a long history in Mobile, uh, first uh, built in 1842. um, is the mother church of Ashland Place United Methodist Church. And we have many members who are founding members of Ashland Place who came out of St. Francis Street. Um, the Hardesties were married here. Um, George and Jane's parents were married here in this, in this space, in this room in 1939. As when there are other um, members of our church and our church family who were married here and um, have uh, moved their, um, their church life together uh, with their family at Ashland Place. It's just wonderful to have this connection um, as we um, kind of experience um, some of our history together um, on this uh, Independence Day weekend. You know, this is a, a wonderful place, and I want to thank the uh, owners of the steeple and, 
and the staff for working with us and, and allowing us to come in, inviting us in and welcoming us to, to come in and, and to film um, this uh, sermon and this time together. You know, when, we, when I came in, I'd only been here once before. It was at night for a fundraiser. I didn't really get to see the stained glass windows or I didn't get to see the, the, the ornate woodwork and this the beautiful uh, facility in, a, in, its, in its raw beauty and in daylight. But when I come in today, it's just absolutely incredible and it's a beautiful beautiful room in this this what was the nave this large space where we the sanctuary um, unmistakable that it's a church the ornate woodwork the stained glass windows are just absolutely um, beautiful the bands of the balcony the rose windows uh, it's just absolutely um, beautiful and uh, a powerful um, reminder of this church's this building's um, history so as we think about um, this space and this building and its history is long, uh, long history um, here in Mobile and in our, in our church family, uh, what it means to us. I want us to kind of grab a hold of, of this. Um, there's a phrase that the website, the steeple, um, the steeple website, they, there's a phrase there that reads, um, if stained glass windows could talk. And that is a poignant phrase for us. Um, as we think about uh, our life as Christians, as the church, and um, if we think about this building, what would the stained glass windows say? Think of the history, the life that has bubbled up and through and in these walls that these windows witnessed. The marriages, the funerals, memorial services, Confirmations and baptisms, celebrations of all kinds. Imagine if these walls and these windows could tell their story. What would they say? What would they remember? Even as it has been revamped and repurposed into this venue site and, and space, a beautiful venue, um, wonderful venue uh, for events and weddings and receptions and celebrations of all kinds. But imagine if these windows could speak the history they could tell, the stories they could weave, the threads that would run from this room to Ashland Place through the many generations of believers that call St. Francis Street, they call Ashland Place home. This is incredible because when I think about how this building has been repurposed, the building still maintains and holds its memory and holds its perspective of its history. It still tells the story of its past. And that's important for us to remember. Not just for buildings, and even not even just as a, us as a country on Independence Day weekend, but more importantly, us as a people of God, as we find ourselves being renewed, revamped, and repurposed by the call of God. We have a story to tell. We have a perspective of our life, of life together. 
And that's one of the points that Paul wants to make in this letter of Romans. Now, Romans is a complicated read. It's a deep read. And to really understand Romans, we've got to get to Paul. We've got to understand a little more about who Paul is and what he's trying to do. Paul, as we, as we know, was a, a religious man, a well-educated Pharisee. He, he learned under some of the brightest rabbis of his day. He was a righteous man. A holy and pious man. And he expected a lot of his own life as he tried to follow the law. And he expected others to follow the law and the traditions. He had high expectations for God's people. Jews, Israelites. But then something happened. Something cataclysmic happened to Paul and his understanding of religion his understanding of faith and the law. He encountered the risen and living Christ, resurrected. The one whom he was pursuing, the one he was persecuting, the church of Christ, the believers of Christ, Christ himself was being pursued and persecuted by Paul until Paul encountered the resurrected Christ. And in that personal encounter, in that personal um, interaction, this intersection that knocked Paul to the ground and blinded him with God's glory, changed his perspective of his life and his history. And that's important to remember. To know that Paul still remembers the Jewish law. Paul still holds that history and that story in his body. And he recognizes it. He, he realizes it and he holds it. But he doesn't let that be the end of the story. And so when we arrive at Romans, this is years of Paul being uh, a, a, an evangelist and a preacher and been planting churches all over uh, the empire, reaching out to the Gentiles. That was his called ministry by Christ. And after a decade of doing this, over a decade of this work, he decides he needs to go to Rome. But he wasn't going to stop in Rome. He was not going to stay in Rome. His plan was to go further, to go beyond Rome into Spain. But to get to Rome, he needed to introduce himself. He had never been. He was not familiar with the, with the churches in Rome. So he writes to introduce himself and to explain himself and to kind of tell his belief, his stance. And this is a very mature thought and treatise of Pauline theology and Christology. How he understands God. What he believes about Christ. And what he believes about life. And so as he begins to unleash all of his history and his perspective and his theology and his learning onto this letter, it gets deep and it gets deep in a hurry. But to get to chapter 7 and 8, we must first back up a little bit and understand that Paul 
when he begins writing Romans, he understands that, that sin has come into the world by one man, and that one man will take sin, will have the power to remove sin from the world, all of creation, all of humanity. That one man is Jesus Christ, who will remove sin. And then Paul works his way through this letter. He arrives in chapter 7 and he begins to remember and recount and have this perspective of the law that, and sin that seems to not allow him to escape. That seems to still have some uh, hold or, or a muscle memory or body memory of sin. And, and that's his point. Is that even as he has been regenerated, renewed, and is continuing to, to um, move into, into being sanctified as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that stain of sin, that memory of sin, that sin remains with him in his body. And it's a difficult struggle to shake. Now the good news for Paul... And the good news for us and the good news for the church is that sin in our bodies, the memory of that sin, the stain of that sin, the action of that sin in our life does not determine us. In verse 1 of, of chapter 8, Paul tells us that in Christ Jesus there is no condemnation no condemnation for those who follow Jesus Christ, who place their faith in Jesus Christ, place their trust, their life in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean our life is automatically simple and easy, because Paul tells us that sin is still in the world, sin is still in humankind, still in creation, and still acts upon us. But our spirit, our will, our intentions are of the spirit. They are of God. When we follow Jesus Christ, when we trust Jesus Christ. And in that, in that we find hope. In, 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 in finding ourselves no longer bound to death, bound to sin, we find ourselves bound to Christ but being bound to Christ is freedom for Paul. It's freedom for, for us. Freedom from sin and freedom from death. The struggle is still real. The memory is still there. The perspective of our life has changed. Where we begin to look back over our life and see life differently. See where we were naive, where we were wrong, where we were sinful. And to know that at some point, point or points in time as we come to know Jesus Christ and place more and more trust in Jesus Christ that that perspective has followed us all the way and it's shaped how we understand our past and in chapter 7 that's what we have Paul doing is, is looking back across his life, looking back across his understanding of the law and sin and, and having a perspective of being in the spirit that has reshaped, reformed, renewed his view of life, his view of the world, his view of sin, his view of the law, and his view of grace. And his view of grace is freeing. 
And it allows him and it allows the church and it allows us to have freedom from sin and death, but freedom to choose and freedom to hope. And that is a fresh, powerful expression of freedom. To be able to choose to hope, to be able to work towards hope, to be able to work with Christ and the Spirit for a new life, a better life, a better life defined by God and God's righteousness. Now, this is a deep letter. I I can't deny it. And, And it's hard to get our head around, hard to get our hands around. But just remember, when you see a stained glass window in a building, it probably has a story to tell. And particularly in in a building that's been repurposed, just like lives that have been repurposed, we have stories to tell. And our perspectives have changed. We no longer see sin the same way. We no longer see death as the end. We now live with a perspective of a future perspective of hope, a perspective of choice, a perspective of freedom. I think for Paul, in Romans, we find him talking about freedom. Because in, for him and for all who claim Christ, we are given the ability and the opportunity to choose. To choose not to do wrong, to choose not to do evil, and to choose what is good and what is right and what is faithful. That choice comes by the Spirit. comes by the Spirit of God. And when we allow the Spirit to work within us and to live within us and we walk with the Spirit... We find a perspective over our entire life from as far back as we can remember and before and looking far into the future. A perspective of hope and freedom. And maybe for Paul and for us, that is the truest expression of freedom. The truest experience of freedom. And that's life in Jesus Christ. So as I look back over this room, this beautiful room, and I think about these windows and these walls, and I, I think back, what was it like in 1939 when George and Jane's parents got married? What was that day like? How was this room, how was it decorated? Who sat where? And I think back of not just that wedding, but all of the weddings. And all of the baptisms. And all of the lives that were transformed through the life of this church. And I think about these windows and these walls and as they recall and re-recollect. And they proclaim a story. And that story is God's story. And it's God's story with us. 
And for that I give great thanks. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite us to join together in our affirmation of faith. It is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.